John chapter 20, we come to the evening, if you look at verse 19, then the same day at evening, this is Sunday resurrection day, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, they're locked, they're secure, where the disciples were assembled, the idea is they're locked for fear of the Jews, if the Jews had killed their master, there's no doubt they'd be hunting them down as well. They recognize some of them. So they're locked down. They're there. They've never read the chapter. They've never said, this is great. What do you see what happens next? You know, they're hidden away. And it says, and Jesus stood, he stepped into the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Shalom, probably. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord by the marks of his passion. They knew it was him. And then said Jesus unto them again, Peace unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Down in verse 24 it says, But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of of the nails, by the way, that's the only time in the Gospels you find, in fact, in the New Testament, you have nails specifically said. We hear about nailing uh, things to the cross in Colossians, but unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, notice, and put my finger into the print, so these are wounds of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, a sizable wound, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and he stood in the midst and said, Now a second time, peace be unto you. I'm sorry, a third time, peace be unto you. And then said he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, thrust it into my side, which means Thomas's phone was tapped, and be not faithless, but believing, as is yours. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God, the only time Jesus is owned in the Gospels as God, there from the mouth of Thomas. We have this day proceeding. First thing happened, Jesus runs into this group of women. Matthew 28, I believe, verse 11. They see him. He says, all hail. He greets them. They fall down, it says, at his feet and worship him and take hold of his feet. After that, he, he appears to Mary Magdalene. Then he appears to the two on the road to Emmaus and the same day Peter at some time. And now this is the first time that they're all gathered together. Luke 24 gives us the companion passage. 
And as they spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and afraid, supposing they had seen a spirit. They thought it was a ghost. So it says they're terrified as they look up and they see him. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, consider my hands and my feet, that it is I. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. Look at my hands, look at my feet. You, you can see it's me, the, the wounds. He shows them to his disciples. Look at my hands, look at my feet. We know that his hands and feet were both pierced because in Psalm 22, it says, Dogs have surrounded me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet hundreds of years before crucifixion. <clears throat> they have pierced my hands and my feet. Zechariah, when he speaks of these piercings, he says specifically there are wounds because I, find, I found studying through this week, a lot of quote-unquote scholars say, well, these were wounds, they were scars. Um, he's in a human body, you don't get scars in three days when you're split open. These were wounds. <clears throat> if he wanted them to be scars, it could have been. If he wanted them to be gone altogether, they could have been gone altogether. But there's a purpose in them Zechariah says, one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, those which I was wounded with in the house of my friends. So these are wounds. These are the marks of his passion. He could have been rid of them, but he maintained them. He decided, because what was it like for him on that day? to come to them and those that are fearful to say, peace. With, with the nails, the, the, the holes in his hands. He shows in John his side, the hole so big. Thomas had said, I want to, I'll shove my hand into that hole if he's real. And I thought, what was it like for him? You know, he had said to Telestai on the cross, it is finished. He had paid the price. He died in our place. He brought about redemption. And now on this day as he's gathering his own, you know, just imagine what it must be like for him to say, behold my hands and my feet, my side. And he could have changed that. He could have rid himself of those wounds, but... Those wounds establish his identity. When they see him, they realize this is the same Jesus. This is not someone else. This is our Savior. And they, they realize resurrection. They realize their sins have been paid for. They, they see him standing there with the wounds, open wounds, obviously no longer bleeding, but they see the wounds. Jesus having borne our sins and our sorrows on the cross, those wounds should have been in your hands and my hands, your feet, my feet, your side, my side. 
but they're so beautiful to Jesus, he refuses to relinquish them. Isaiah will say this, can a woman forget her sucking child, the child she's nursing, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Isaiah says, yay, they may forget. Sadly, we see too many today. Yet will I not forget Behold, think about this, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. They were so beautiful to him as he looked. They were the marks of his identity and what he had accomplished for you and I, for his people. And because of that, he still wears them today. We're told in the book of Revelation It says, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the the root of David, hath prevailed to open the scroll and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, on top of beholding, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four cherubim, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, and it's a diminutive form there. It's a little lamb. As it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. This little lamb that is all-knowing, seven eyes, seven horns, all-powerful little lamb, as it had been slain. Some translate that with the marks of slaughter upon him. He's still wearing them. When we see him, which could be at any moment, when the Lord descends with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and we're caught up, our first glimpse of him will be with the marks of slaughter upon him. It's been well said by many through the centuries that the only man-made things in heaven are the scars on Christ. And for me personally, it will do my heart good, you know, just... The first thing, and it will, those are welcoming wounds, you know. The, no wonder he comes this day and shows his disciples when we're caught up. The first thing we see is it is finished. The price is paid. Because that's important for me because knowing myself, if I didn't see that, the first thing I'd be thinking, man, I'm going to mess this up in no time. They're going to throw me out, you know. Uh, I'll think the wrong thing. I'll say the wrong thing. No, no. The first thing we're overwhelmed with is the finished work, the completed work of the Lamb of God with the marks of slaughter upon him. So important are those wounds that Zechariah tells us that Israel itself will be converted by those wounds. It shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that have come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn as one mourneth for his only son. And shall be in bitterness as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. The Lord knows even Israel. So he's maintained those wounds. He hasn't let go of them. You know, I've, I've studied through the resurrection day many times, different angles. But just the first time I'm, I'm, I'm looking at in every scene, he holds forth 
the wounds in his hands, the wound in his side, the wounds on his feet, he holds them forth because I think of the value he himself has placed upon his suffering and the completing of that work. Remarkable scene. So their wounds of identification. Look, you go anywhere in the world today, whether you talk to Muslims or Jews or Hindus, Christians, everybody knows, oh yeah, Jesus. He's the one with holes in his hand and his feet. Jesus, he's the crucified. Yeah, you're talking about crucifixion. I understand. We don't all believe he's risen. We don't all believe he's God, but everybody knows Jesus crucified. Everybody knows that. But for him, to his disciples and to us, he's maintained those wounds of his passion. They are his identity. He identifies himself to the guys by that. And it says, when they saw him, he showed them the wounds. And then it says, and when they saw him, they were glad. They had joy. There are wounds of forgiveness as well. You know, I, I think how remarkable when they see that, they realize their sin's been paid for. You know, somewhere on that day, he met Peter. And when he ran into Peter, he didn't go, When he ran into Peter, he said, Shalom. And he showed him his hands. It's done, Peter. Don't cower. Don't be afraid. The price is paid. Shalom. No wonder he was made known in the breaking of the bread with the two men on the road to Emmaus. As he sat with them, it says, in the breaking of the bread, he was made known. No doubt they saw the holes in his hands. They are the marks of forgiveness. How wonderful that is to us. Reconciliation has been affected. We are no longer at enmity with God, as Paul says in the book of Romans, because Christ on the cross said, it is finished. The only other time in the New Testament we have nailing mentioned, it says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way by nailing it to the cross, and has spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them, triumphing over them openly. They are the signs of his victory. They are the signs of the enemy being defeated. They're the signs of forgiveness. And everything that was against us was nailed, being nailed to the cross, it says there in Colossians 3. So, you know, I look at that and I think, what was the cost of that to him? What was the cost to the father who said, you know, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. And the Father didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's the heart of God. And these are wounds of forgiveness. They secure something. They put something before our heart. And I think as I look at them, what was the cost to him? You know, he bore our sin and so forth. Jesus would say, greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. The chapter before that, he had said to them, 
A new, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. No greater love than a, lo a man lays down his life for his friends. You love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love, for, love one for another. I think, what was the cost to him to bear our sins? to die, to cry, God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? Crying that for me, so I never have to cry it. Bearing wounds that I don't have to bear now. And then he asks us to forgive one another. What does it cost us to do that? It cost him eternity, it cost him holiness, it cost him everything. What does it cost us? As I want you guys to love one another as I have loved you. What a challenge. Because everybody in this room, including me, can think of somebody they're bugged at. Right? I could tell you to stand up if you don't know any, but then you'd be the person struggling with pride. And we'd all have something against you. Um, look, everybody knows what it's like to have somebody in their life that you grind on. Lord, I know what you want me to do, Lord, but this is really tough. What does it cost us? To forgive. Look what it cost him to forgive. And his spirit then is dwelling in us. We're joint heirs crying, Abba, Father. And the world that we live in is hating each other for every reason they can put up on the wall. And it's Satan laughing in the background as image bearer kills image bearer. And he says to you and I, you should love one another. You see these wounds in my hand, these are wounds of forgiveness. And if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, he's going to raise our physical frame as well. Because there are wounds of resurrection. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? You know, the disciples, as they looked at him, realized he was dead. He was in the grave. And now he's risen, he's walking, he's speaking. They saw their own future in those wounds, and so should we. So should we. This, this is not permanent, aren't you glad? The older I get, the happier I am. This body is not permanent. It's snack, you know, snap crackles and pops like Rice Krispies now when I get up in the morning. You have to push everything and wait till it's ready to go. And then, then you can head to the bathroom and look in the mirror and go back to bed. Right? This, this is all winding down. Nobody dies of good health. You know, but, but to see him, those wounds were the wounds of our future, the wounds of our hope, the wounds of resurrection. He was the risen one. And it secures something for us in the future. It gives us a hope that there's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. And that our destiny is intimately interwoven with his victory. Interesting. Also, as I look at it, I think he wears these wounds. You know, Hebrews chapter 7 tells us that Christ ever lives and he makes intercession for the saints. Before the throne of God. What is it like then? When he prays for you and I. 
And he lifts his hands before the, pro- the father with those wounds, those open wounds in his hands. He says, Father, I paid the price. Yeah, they don't deserve to get into heaven. They might be theologically correct. But, Father, I paid the price. There isn't anything they can do to get in. He makes intercession before the Father with us with wounded hands. Wounds in his feet and in his side. Before the Father's throne. The very reason the Father had sent him into the world and prepared a body for him, we're told. And there are wombs of remembrance, without a doubt. Look, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, and we have it described in Luke 22, where Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, my broken body and my shed blood. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, I have delivered unto you that which I have received of the Lord myself. He says, it's emphatic, I, I received this. Imagine that. Hated the church. Made people blaspheme the name of Jesus. Held men and women that were Christians to jail. And he, I received it of him, himself. He came to me personally and gave me this feast. And said, as often as you break, when he, the night he gave thanks, he, he broke the bread and he said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. In like manner, Paul says, he gave the cup, saying, this is the cup of the New Testament, the blood of a new covenant shed for you. And as often as you break this bread and you drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death, the broken body, the shed blood. You do show forth the Lord's death until he comes. You know, those are wounds of remembrance. You know, again, you know, how many times have we been wounded by somebody and we can't forget about it? Let's go back to wounds of forgiveness. You know, these are wounds of remembrance. And he remembers them as well. He's not bitter that, that human beings nailed him to the cross and spit on him and beat him beyond human recognition. These wounds are beautiful to him because they're the wounds that let him put his arms around his bride. These are the wounds of the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. They're the wounds of a father who knows how to care for his children. He received them to pay for our sins and he still bears them because of what they mean. To him. And I think, you know, soberly, Jesus says, The Father hath committed all judgment to the Son. It tells us in Revelation chapter 20 that Christ is the one who stands heaven and earth flee away, and he himself takes his seating on the great white throne. And gathered before him are all the multitudes who refused him. From the sea, from the land, from the different ages, they stand there before him. And they see in his hands on the throne the holes from the nails. And as they're sent away into outer darkness, 
they're realizing, I could have come. I could have got in by what he did. I could, I could have come. And I think, you know, besides the pain and the outer darkness, I personally think one of the things that gnaws at someone who's lost forever and ever is that last scene and realizing I could have come. I could be somewhere different right now. I could be in heaven. I could have come. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, it's not church. It's not a pastor. It's not a priest. It isn't because you learn the four spiritual laws or anything you've nailed down theologically. You know, knowledge puffs up. Love edifies. It's because of what he's done. And he bears that in his frame throughout all eternity. So there's no confusion about it at all. And if you don't know Christ today, if you don't accept his payment for you on the cross... If you don't accept that the only way you as a sinner can be forgiven and come to heaven, you will be lost forever. So at the end of the service, we're going to give you a chance. We sing the last song to come to accept Christ today, to ask his forgiveness. Not Calvary Chapel, not me, not a church, not a denomination. Him, the one with the wounds in his hand and his side. He's the one. And he loves those wounds today because they're there because of you. Because he loves you and was willing to pay the price for you. It's interesting, three times in John here, they are wounds of peace. It says in verse 19 and 20 there, it says, they were locked away for fear of the Jews, and Jesus came, stood in their midst, and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Luke tells us the same thing. They thought he was a ghost. He said, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, so said is peace be unto you, he showed them his hands and his side. Then they realized who it was. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus unto them again a second time, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Then down in verse 26, Jesus comes and stands in the midst again and says, Peace unto you, third time. Then said he unto Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, put it into my hands. Reach hither thy hand, thrust it into my side, and be not faithless. But believing, Thomas then saying, my Lord, my God. So uh, no doubt these are wounds of peace. These guys are in fear. They're locked away. They think their lives are in jeopardy. And when Jesus comes and they see his hands and his side, and they say, this is the Lord, it says they have joy. It doesn't say the danger is taken away. It doesn't say the religious Jews stop hating them. It doesn't say that they still don't pursue them. All of these men, except John, would die as martyrs. They would all lay down their lives. But there's something that's different about a believer dying who realizes the wounds in his hand and his feet and his side is there for them. Who realizes that Jesus came back from the dead and there's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. Then whatever trouble we're in, sickness, Threats, whatever there is around us that breaks our hearts and hurts our physical frame, 
There are the wounds of peace. There are the wounds where he holds them up and says, peace be unto you, peace. Because there's an end to the story. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. And it could come at any moment. No doubt these are the wounds of service because, again, he says peace to them and says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Send his son into the hostile world. Send him in, not willing that any would perish, but they come to salvation. They're the wounds of service. If we're going to serve Jesus the right way, it needs to be around the cross and the resurrection. It needs to be around the gospel. Wednesday night we talked, you know, Paul saying there in um, Acts 20, verse 24, you know, I'm going to Jerusalem. There's threats. They're going to kill me. I hear this over and over. But none of these things move me. And you think he said his, he just wanted to finish his course. His life was set steadfastly. What moves you? What moves me? There's all kinds of things that move us. We're aggravated with this. We're aggravated with that. We see injustice. We see the war. We look at the economy. We look at Washington. We look at, you know, tension in our culture. We look at everything. What moves you? What can we get distracted with? And some kind of social justice or something else becomes the main cause of our life. The main cause of your life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we live in a lost world. And he shows them his hands and feet, says, Peace be unto you, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. That's our message. That's how we're to be identified, not by a thousand other causes, but by the cause of Christ. And they are also the wounds for the backslider, the wounds for those who aren't close, the wounds who are saying, I'm not going to believe, the wounds for those who are at a distance, for the Thomases. Peace be unto you. Put your finger here. Thrust your hand into my side, Thomas. And how many times as believers do we get off course? We don't want to hear anybody else to say. And we need him, as it were, in that situation to speak to us. Isaiah had said it this way. He said, surely he hath borne our griefs. He hath carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded, that's our word, for our transgressions. He was bruised or crushed for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes were healed. He was wounded. He was crushed. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. I think today, you know, as we go our ways, hopefully you'll be with family, friends, Maybe you'll get to be a testimony. I encourage you today, if you've got an axe you're grinding with somebody, lay it down. Lay it down. Love them. Forgive them. I'm not impressed with your theological understanding. I want to see your life. Mine as well. What does it cost you to forgive somebody? You got holes in your hands, your side, your feet? No, because he bore them for you when he forgave you. 
That's the cost of forgiveness. It doesn't cost us much to forgive somebody because we're just like the person we're forgiving. Look, and forgiveness is in our lives. What's it for? To store up? I got 500 gallons of forgiveness in the backyard. No, forgiveness is something you use when somebody does something wrong to you. That's the purpose of forgiveness. And look what it cost him to forgive us. He bears those wounds. He bears them for eternity. We're, we're right about to be caught up and see them for ourselves. And look on our Savior, the Lamb of God. And the forgiveness that's in our heart and our lives through the Holy Spirit is to be rendered to his services. It cost us little. And we're forgiving somebody who's just like us. He was forgiving you and I, and he wouldn't like us at all. He was holy, undefiled, pure, powerful. And he came. He put on our skin. He walked among us. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was weary. He was betrayed. He was sad. He was spit upon. He was beaten beyond human recognition. A thorn crown of thorns on his brow, the skin ripped off his back. The nails, the wounds, the burial, the empty tomb, amen, the empty tomb. He's beyond all that. And now he shows those wounds off. He's maintained them. He keeps them from eternity. He puts them in front of the likes of you and I. And of course, he'll say to Thomas, Thomas, he'll say, my Lord, my God, you believe because you've seen? Listen, blessed are those who believe who have not yet seen. We're going to see. But there's a peculiar blessing that belongs to you and I that the apostles will never, never enjoy. Now, no doubt they have some, you know, some blessings we won't in, the, in, the, in regards to the history of his earthly ministry. But you and I, because we believe without seeing, have particular blessings that none of those who saw him can enjoy. And one day they'll all be realized when we stand there, the sea of glass, and behold the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray. I encourage you to pray for me. I've got to do this one more time. And, <laughs> and after three services, you're thinking, did I say this in the end of the last service or the beginning of this service? And look, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, we'll sing this last song. And if you want to be saved, we just encourage you. If a friend brought you, they're going to walk down with you. And if you don't get the church mush, you're, you're here on Easter, bless you. We're glad you're here. We want you to come. And if you're not sure, no priest died for you, no pastor died for you, no denomination died for you. He's the one. He's the one. Okay? He's the one. In him alone. And if you will trust him today, that he bore those marks that you and I deserve, that he took the bullet for us, if you'll trust him today, you can have eternal life. He says, if you're willing to confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father and all of the angels of heaven. Let's sing this song. 
Let me pray. And as we worship, if you want to be saved today, get out of the seat, get down here so we can give you a Bible, pray with you. Then, then every Easter will be Resurrection Day for you in some wonderful ways. Let's bow our hearts. Lord, I know you've overheard. And thank you for this crowd, Lord. What two years ago, what a bummer to preach to an empty room, Lord. And here we are. You've been faithful. You've gathered us. You've kept us, Lord. Lord, we do pray for those among us that may have never come to you, though all they've had maybe is religion, never relationship. Lord Jesus, they've never encountered you as their risen Savior. Lord, draw them today from their brokenness, from their emptiness, from their struggles to yourself, Lord, to yourself. And you add to the church daily such as should be saved. So, Lord, draw them and save them, Lord Jesus. We ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen.